Well, welcome to The Journey. Um, I, I am Kevin Polke, and I'm the host of The Journey. And The Journey is uh, a show that focuses primarily on um, stories of transformation. Sometimes it's an individual who've had some setbacks in their life, or maybe have had career changes, or or they find themselves with some, some obstacle or some setback in their life. And then not only do they talk about what the setback was, but more importantly, talking about what did they learn from that and then how are they giving back because of that because of what they learned and today we have a very special guest uh teresa uh, gasser and uh so teresa welcome to the journey and thank you i, I know we just uh, have recently in the last few months gotten to know each other a little bit because of uh both working for refreshmental health and uh and well why don't we start there what what do you do for refresh um, I'm the Vice President of Learning and Development, so I get to do all kinds of really fun, exciting teachings and trainings and really using my creative side, tapping into the part that I love the most about life is being creative. So it's really a great job and a great company. So. And, and so, Teresa, with that, this is primarily toward with, within Refresh um, and, and for Refresh employees, and it's not necessarily our compliance uh all the different things they have to do with compliance, um, it's, but it is for further professional development, correct? Correct, correct. So we do a lot of things around um, CEU, CMEs for our, for our staff, um, but we also work on, on things for our support staff. So um, we call them our gatekeepers, the, the frontline people who sure. take the phone calls and interact with patients long before we interact with patients. So it's really exciting to have them on board and um, to really just um, care about the entire system. So it's, uh, Refresh has taken this nice uh, stance of taking care of everybody within our community. And we call them, this is our community. We're all over the country, as you know. Um, so it's nice to be able to connect people to each other. Um, we have things like military support network. So we support our, our military at Refresh. Um, and we want our staff and our clinicians to be trained to really understand those intricacies of the military. I come from a military background, which I'll talk about later. So um, that's kind of near and dear to my heart. So I, I'm really excited about that. But we also are doing support networks for um, our single parents, LGBTQ, um, just you name it, we're coming up support uh, networks within Refresh for our staff. So they feel supported in what they do. And you know, being in mental health, it's key that we support each other. Um, it's a kind of an isolating job at times when you're doing therapy and you're you know, back to back with patients. And it's really nice to have a group of people that come and come alongside of you and support you from an education standpoint, but learning and developments, but much more than just education. So... Absolutely. And, and, and there's no doubt, even though in the last two years, because of the pandemic and because of um, a larger percentage, uh, a growing percentage of our providers working from um, working from home. So even some of those, that aspect of where we could have that community within the office for some locations, that has really not existed in the last two years. So, no, so. it hasn't. And mental health, the, the crisis in our, in our communities with mental health is much greater than it was prior to the pandemic. I mean, when I'm talking to providers in the community, the biggest thing they're saying is the number of people seeking mental health treatment has skyrocketed. Yeah. So yeah. it's really and important. It, and, and I think it's probably a combination of, of, of different things. One, I think because of the different aspects of that's happened in the last two years um, as, as a result of the pandemic, um, but then I think there is uh, some of the stigma that uh, that that used to be around uh, seeking help seems to have diminished and really changed, and that it's that it's okay um, to seek out behavioral health, uh, you know, support. And so that that I think has been a big shift as well as there actually has been an increase in in need, but there also has been an increase in willingness to to seek out help. Oh, absolutely. Which isn't the greatest thing ever too. Oh. I'm, so, I'm so excited about that. I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Uh, everything we're touching on is kind of my journey sure. to where I am today. So yeah. it's really, it's really amazing to me to see how far we've come uh, from a mental health standpoint. You know, unfortunately, there's still people out there who really have a stigma against mental health or really don't understand um, 
where we are and who we are as clinicians and what we're doing. And, you know, therapy, I think, has advanced so much over the past 20 years as well. So it's exciting to see people who were really turned off by therapy 20 years ago, who, for whatever reason, have decided to come back and are like, wait a minute, this isn't the therapy I knew before. Right. And so it's really exciting to see I just see them grow as people once they realize, wow, I can really move forward here. Absolutely. So Teresa, why don't we, I know we got, we got jumped way ahead of ourselves, but why don't don't we start with, (laughs) so one of the questions I always ask every one of my guests is I ask, um, what does Teresa do for fun? If you have the opportunity to have some downtime and have fun, what, what, what does Teresa do for fun? Well, first of all, I, I, I value my downtime so much. I've learned, I'm a little bit older, so I've learned you have to take time for yourself or you can't be good to the people that you're, you're treating or um, the people you're supporting that are treating people. So that's number one for me. But so I love boating. Unfortunately, we've had a little bit of a cold winter, so we haven't had much, much boating in Mississippi where I live right now. Um, but during the summer, I boat a lot and I love going to the beach and I love to read. And obviously I love to write. Um, I could read a ton. I used to think I read a lot until uh, one of my colleagues told me she reads about 20 books a week. And I'm like, what? And she's like, I do nothing else on my downtime, but read. And I thought, I was doing good with maybe one or two books a week. So, but I like to read a lot. Um, I have some pseudo grandkids. I have a, a niece who I um, help raise on and off and um, she has five, no, yeah, she has five children now. Yeah, five. So um, I had to count, isn't that horrible? She just yeah. had her, her baby in January. So I, I love doing that. And um, I fairly, very close to my, my family. So my nieces and nephews and, and take care of their kids and help them as well. And um, just love to do some Southern things. It's Mardi Gras week. So I had three parades this weekend. So I'm a little burned out, <laughs> paraded <laughs> out, but it's been fun. So yeah, I just like to really be with my, be with my family and I have a wedding coming up. My son's getting married on Friday to a beautiful woman who we absolutely adore. So very excited about that. And so we have wedding week uh, this week. So yeah, so very busy. Very nice. So, so why don't we kind of just tell us a little bit about your backstory, where, where'd you grow yeah. up? And, and then obviously you, you mentioned that you're a clinician. And so how, how did that all come about? So, but first where'd you grow up and. Yeah. If, so if... Um, my story is a little complicated. So I am, am a Navy brat. So I grew up um, all over the place. I was born in Boston and then moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Then we moved to South Carolina and then we moved to Iceland all before I was four years old. So it was a lot of moving and shaking. My first memories were in Charleston, South Carolina um, and uh, being on the beach. So probably why I love the beach so much. Then we moved to Iceland. You'd think I'd like the cold after two and a half years there, but I I didn't love the cold. Very, very cold there. Um, But loved, loved Iceland and really kind of um, sparked my love for travel. I didn't tell you I love to travel as well. Um, So it really sparked that interest in seeing the world. And I've been very fortunate to have gone all over the world. And uh, I'll tell you that in a minute. But um, I grew up in a really um, very dysfunctional home. So we were uh, three children and we had um, very abusive parents. They were not very nice people. probably why I have such a heart for mental health and people getting help because I can see what happens when mental health has gone on un- it, when it's not well and it goes unchecked and untreated. And so we had a, we had a lot, a very, very difficult time growing up in our family. Um, but we really, I can say this about my sister and my brother and I were very resilient and resiliency is a huge key, I think, in, in what we go through and how we overcome some things. Um, but we were really, really blessed to have some amazing support people. Um, my grandparents moved next door to us when I was in the fifth grade. Uh, we settled in Mississippi and that's why I'm down here. Um, my father would travel with the military and we would, and we stayed put. So that was one of the first steps that really took uh, it kind of became formative in me becoming who I was. I was able to finally get some roots and some and ground a little bit, and then really got some amazing supportive people around me who didn't really know what was going on in our home, but were really just loving, kind people. And it really showed me that my grandfather, who I, I still to this day, um, he's my favorite person who's ever walked the planet. Um, his son was close second, my uncle Louie, who, who passed away last year, unfortunately. Um, those two were just key in my life and, and showing me um, that men could be really healthy and good and that people could be really good. Um, and so I really started focusing on that. And my uncle Louie um, probably was the first person who really stood by me and said, you've got to go to school and you've got to figure out what you want to do. And so I 
um, knew that I had, I wanted to go into mental health. It was, it was kind of a given from probably in second grade when I lived in, I shouldn't say second grade, it was probably first grade when I lived in Iceland, I would take lunches to the gate guards. We, our house was not far from the gate guard. So I truck through the snow and I would make uh, raisin bread and bologna sandwiches for the gate guards. I know that sounds really disgusting, but they ended up liking them. And so they would, I would take them lunch every day. And so when we would go through the gates, you'd get checked, your cars would get searched all the time. And my mom said to, uh, I was coming through one time and my friends call me Tammy, by the way. So I'll tell you that in a minute. But so my mom's, they're like, oh, hi, Tammy. And my mom's like, how do you know my daughter? And they're like, oh, she brings us lunch every day. And then they just waved her through. And I think my mom might've been smuggling some cigarettes through that day. So she was all happy. So she started packing the lunches for me to take to the gate guards after that. So, um, so I just loved Iceland. I loved, I loved all of that. And I just really, again, had great people around me. So when I was 19, I moved out of my house and went to Florida. And I, I met this gentleman who... Um, introduced me to my first counselor that I went to, Dr. Deshaun. Um, he was brilliant. He was doing mindfulness, guided imagery. Um, he, he was really, he was really encouraging me to work through the trauma, um, but in a really informed way. He didn't just jump in and start working on trauma. He started working on me as a person and, you know, calming down the anxiety and, and really addressing uh, the PTSD and the, you know, the things that were so relevant in my, in my head. Um, so when I got that really good mental health, I knew this is what I'm going to do for a living. Um, and he hooked me onto this book called um, Dibs in Search of Self by Virginia Axline. And I read that book and I was like, I, that's what I'm going to do. And then I just started on this journey of doing that. And I went in the Air Force to pay for college. I really wanted to be uh, you know, dependent on only me at that point. Um, and so I knew I had to find a way to pay for college. So I went in the Air Force and loved every second of that. Um, and then I um, got accepted to Case Western for graduate school and um, I went and I haven't looked back. It's been wonderful. And so um, early on in your career, after, after you got out of the Air Force, you went and got your degree, um, you got, well, got your bachelor's degree and then got your master's degree. I did. In the middle, I got a teaching certificate and I taught high school history. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know. Kind of a weird thing, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think there's, there's quite a few people that I've known that went the teaching route and then later um, went back and got their master's in, um, in some type of uh, behavioral health, either social work or in mental health counseling. And, 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 and you know, I, I'm in my mid, you know, early fifties and, you know, the LCPC or the LPC didn't exist 20, right. you know, 25 years ago. And so that's, that's a newer. And so you had to either get a PhD or you had to become an LCSW. And those were right. the only options in the, in the early, you know, from like mid nineties and before. So. Right, right. Yeah. And that's about when I went to graduate school was in the mid 90s. So you know, went in the Air Force, did everything a little bit backwards, went in the Air Force, then went to college, then had babies, then went to graduate school. So sure. um, yeah, so it's definitely, I love that we're able to do that, though. And I, I love mentoring young people who come to me and are talking about going into mental health. And they're like, but I just don't want to go to school for that long. And, and I talk about the LPC and the um, MFTs and the social work and the, the different things that they can do um, to really get into this field and, and be really, really good at it. And it's interesting. That's probably one of the things that I do uh, as, as well. I do quite a bit of, uh, I mean, some of it comes probably from doing it for 30, 32 years now. Um, that's one aspect of it. But I you know, believe so strongly in what we do and so strongly in, um, in being in, in this in this particular way of being able to help people. Um, I, I know for me, I, you know, I got my bachelor's degree in psychology when I was a competitive athlete. And, and so I was more focused on bodybuilding, but I happened to stay in school. And when I finished um, my degree, I had, you know, probably another year to two years of competing. And then that ended and I had my, had my degree, but I was definitely lost and had no mm. idea who, who Kevin was let alone. What was I supposed to do? And, um, so I had no idea what social work was or what, what could social work be outside of uh, Department of Children and Family Services. Outside of right. that, uh, child welfare, I had no idea. And for me, it, it has really been uh, the ticket to allow me to do many 
different things, clinical social work and school social work being one of them. But, but, but there's a whole nother aspect of a business component and, and leadership right. development and all that. So. Yeah. And I think, I think the important piece is that, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking about going into the mental health field, you hit it right on the head there. There's so much you can do. You know, I own my own private practice in Ohio uh, for six years. I, you know, have like, you know, written children's books. I've um, been in education, uh, teaching uh, seminars, but I have also taught, you know, at the university level. So I've done so many different things with this degree because it's, it's such a valuable, it's just such a valuable degree to have. Um, and you really get to branch out and explore who you are. And I think we keep growing when we can branch out a little bit. I think if you're really stifled, it's hard. Um, and that's what I love about the mental health field is that we can really do so many different things and, and tap into sides of us that I, that I never knew. I have to, you know, you said something about you didn't really know who Kevin was. There was a time I didn't know who I was. You know, I, I was so lost and and just trying to figure out how to deal with some of the pain that I had been through that I wasn't really paying attention too much to what I could accomplish. And, you know, when I started learning about the brain and the impact of trauma on the brain, that's when it all started to heal with me. I started going, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Now, now it makes sense why I couldn't focus. Now it makes sense why I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that. And once it started making sense, I knew even more I had to teach about it. Um, and that's what kind of led me to writing books, but I'll wait till you get there before I go there. Well, and, and I think that is, is something that I had just come across again. And, and it's a, it's, a, it's one of those things that, you know, we, we see it all the time with our, with our clients and, 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 and for some of us in our, in our own experience, you know, one, one aspect that happens to us physically and emotionally is when a trauma event happens and and our body remembers that uh, you know it becomes bookmarked you know at that particular time and but a second part of that 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 many times we don't really take into account is then the story that we're telling ourselves as a result mm -hmm. of that as a result of that trauma um, right and and if there wasn't some level of intervention that came in at that time period, then that, that story that we're telling ourselves becomes our reality. And, and we have, we have this physical, this physiological response that also is tied to it. And so, mm -hmm. you know, just like you were just saying is, Oh, no wonder I was so, I was having a hard time concentrating or I, I, I felt so, uh, you know, hypervigilant and, it, well, mm -hmm. that's what happens when we grow up in in a in a, a living environment that is um, aggressive and hostile. Exactly, exactly. And you know, talk about that story that you remember. You know, I, I have a very vivid story or event that happened in my life, and I remember. I, I can honestly sit back now and go, "That's the exact moment I started. I call. I started to believe this lie." And, um, you know, it wasn't until I recognized what the lie was that I was able to then step back and go, okay, and for everybody, the lie is going to be different, right? It's going to be, I'm not worth protecting. I'm not worth caring for. I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, fill in the blank of whatever the lie is. But I think when you can get back and recognize that moment that you, that, that lie became your truth, yeah. you can look at the situation. Like I can look back at the situation and I can analyze it now and go, that's not what was meant at all. Yeah. You know, it, it, that, that, that's not the comment that was made by my mother was not what she meant at that moment. And so now as an adult, I can look back and go, OK, this is what she really meant in that moment. And so then it changes your whole narrative of, of who you are moving forward. Um, but unfortunately, I think so many people get stuck in that lie that they don't recognize it's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And, so. and, and, and sometimes because there are, you know, in that particular case, you could see that w what mom said versus what mom's intent was, was not congruent. Other times we're going to have circumstances where maybe the intent because of what they were going through was to cause harm um, right. out, of, out of frustration or substance use or what, whatever it may be. Right. Exactly. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it has to be my truth today. Right. Doesn't mean exactly. Exactly. You know? And so we, in, so I think there, we, you know, I talk a lot about when I'm doing teaching, especially with my therapist or with clients is that when we, when we have some type of wound trauma wound mm -hmm. um, and then we make a promise to ourselves not to feel that way again, 
or to get hurt again or to feel that mm-hmm. vulnerability, then we start developing a false self. And you, exactly. you refer to it as the lie. Um, but mm-hmm. whatever words we use, it's, it's that right. it, it's not who we are, th- we're, who we were authentically created to be. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I think the more you address it within yourself and you're willing to go to counseling or how what, there's other, you know, some people go to a, a spiritual person to get mm-hmm. guidance, whatever you do, I think if you're able to recognize that you're, you're going to face this and you're going to get through it and you're going to be okay, yeah. you know, yeah. the truth that the pain's already happened and, and we, we survived that so we can survive the memory and working through it as well. And I think that was one of the things that I had to really tell myself too, that I could, I could get through that. But you talk about this visceral response, this, you know, the stomach aches, the headaches, the this, that, whatever your body is saying to you, once you recognize that too, and that was what Dr. Deshaun really helped me do. He really helped me focus on like, what are you feeling right now? You know, I don't like that feeling. I don't want that feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, the feeling's just a feeling, mm-hmm. right? So what, what is the, uh, Kevin, you might know this, but I, I can't remember it off the cuff, but there's a, a actual feeling only lasts a few seconds. We hold on to the rest of it yep. and, and make it blow it up like a big balloon, right? Yep. So it's once you can recognize that within yourself and go, okay, you know what? Yeah, my stomach is hurting right now. This is a sign that I'm feeling anxious, but but I'm okay. You know, I check for safety. I look around and I go, okay, I'm okay. Yeah. And then I can do some deep breathing. And- yeah. And, and that, that, uh, and that ability to ground yourself and learning how to ground yourself and recognizing that, you know, um, it's actually February 28th of 2022. It's not right. some other time period. Right. And exactly. so, so, I mean, that, that part I think is, is, is key um, to being able to go, you know, what I'm experiencing is a symptom. It, it isn't necessarily the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it cool? Yeah. Well, and I was doing, I, I do do quite a bit of research around the topic of young adult suicide and, and mm-hmm. working with active military um, with suicide and, and suicide in general. Um, and there's a whole story of how I, that I got involved with that. Um, but with some of the, some of the research I was going through just in this past year was that suicidal ideation is, le- is, is a less accurate predictor for um, a completion of suicide than hopelessness. So if a person is indicating that they're a sense of hopeless, and, and if that has been a long drawn out hopelessness, meaning over time, and, there, and there's layers of why they are sensing and experiencing hopelessness, that is much more pervasive and a stronger indicator of a suicide attempt or a completed suicide attempt than the thought of suicide themselves, because the thought of suicidal ideation is, is just that it's just, it may just be a thought. It, it may, right. it, it may not necessarily have any uh, uh, more roots to it than, than that. Should, should we definitely note and, and take, you know, you know, ask questions about what is that going, you know, what's happening with that. But I've had, I've had clients that have been upset because they, they were upset about having a thought about taking their own life. And they were more upset about the fact that they had the thought than the thought in itself actually warranted right. in itself, you know? And, and so, right. yeah. so, so we talk about this idea of it's like a cloud that comes by. It's, it's just a thought doesn't mean that it has to warrant any more um, energy than it being just a thought. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You, you and Dr. Deshaun, you kind of like, the same person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he was teaching me, you know, and, and I love that. I love that whole understanding that you give to clients that is so valuable because they get, you get stuck and you start perseverating on those thoughts and then it becomes a bigger thing than just a thought that's passing. Yeah. yeah. So, so I want to jump to uh, something yeah. that, that you shared with me recently. And, um, and then I have a whole story behind that, but one of the things, and you had mentioned it is that you had, you had written a couple of children's books and, yeah. and the one was uh, ice cream cone feelings. And then yes. there's a squirrel in my tummy. And so, yes. so, so kind of tell us a little bit about what, what was the inspiration for those two stories? And then mm-hmm. what was that experience like regarding the writing of them and what's, what's come from it? So, 
Yeah, so um, I'll start with ice cream cone feelings. I, I worked as a school social worker um, after I finished my master's degree and um, I was working with kids and some a teacher said, you know, to this little boy in the classroom, you know, look, your feelings are like scoops of ice cream. They're, they're going to get mixed up with each other and unless you figure it out, you're it's going to be messy. And I was like, well, that's a really cool concept. So years went by and I kept going, I'm going to write this book. And I would use this concept in my therapy with kids. So in my, when I was doing therapy, I was working predominantly with children. Um, I, I did see clients of all ages, but I, I was very, very focused on trauma with children. So um, I would be in there working with them and I'm using it. I'm like, gosh, I really need a book on this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write it. I've, I've got it in my head. I'm going to write it. So so uh, wrote Ice Cream Come Feelings absolutely love it. I think it's a, a fun way to talk to kids. I've done healthy things with kids where I've sat down and did you know frozen yogurt at events that I've been invited to where we do healthy alternatives for, you know, versus all the sugar of ice cream. So, so we've been able to, to play around a little bit with it to give them some healthy ideas, both from a physical standpoint, but also from the emotional standpoint. And I, you know, I'll share a, a story of this little boy. One time I was in the classroom reading this book, and this little guy is raising his hand in the middle of the story. And, you know, when you're reading, you're trying to get through the book and you, you can't let first graders, second graders talk because they'll, they'll talk the whole time. So, but he, he could, couldn't keep himself still and blurted out before I could say anything. I have a scoop. It's scared. And I, before I could say, I'm going to talk to you about this before, very quickly, he said, I'm scared because my, my dad hits my mom and it scares me. And I said, you know, honey, I'm really, really proud of you for, for telling me about that scoop. I want to talk to you more about this after class uh, or after I read the story. And he goes, um, and I go, but you got, you don't forget. Okay. And he goes, I won't forget. And he goes, you're not going to forget. Are you? And I said, absolutely not. They want us to talk to them. They want us to ask questions. They want us to hear them. And so after we got done reading the book, I went over with him and his teacher. He talked a teeny bit to me about what was going on. I, the mom intervened, we, we called children's services to get them involved. Um, the parents actually ended up writing me a thank you note um, mm. because they were able to get the help that they needed. And so um, it was really, it, it had a good ending to the story. And, um, you know, obviously the teacher's not gonna tell me too much more because of HIPAA and everything else, but um, they were able to get help. So I was very, very excited um, that that book had that kind of an impact, but I have this from a lot of different kids and um, it's been really, I have to tell you, if I'd had a, a, a modality like this as a child where somebody would have said to me, speak about, it's okay to talk about how you feel. It's okay to stand up and say, this is, this doesn't feel right. Um, I would have talked a lot sooner than I did. I would have, the fear and the, and the threats wouldn't have meant as much to me. Um, if I had known this was wrong and, and not, not only do I feel like it's wrong, but it's wrong. And I, and I have other people saying it's wrong and I can go get help. And so that was my motivation to really write these books. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time on there's a squirrel in my tummy because that, that book, um, to me, it's, it was the most critical thing I've done in my career. Um, I, it's probably the most valuable thing that I've done to date. Um, and I am so proud of it because I, I wrote the book. I have to tell you the funniest story. I wrote this book and then I get all the illustrations done and I'm going to print on Monday and on Friday I'm reading it and I'm like, this is horrible. This doesn't say what I want it to say. I, I got to go rewrite it. And I remember going to my friend's house. She's got this beautiful kind of oasis of a yard. And I went over there and I just, took all the illustrations and I rewrote the entire book on Saturday, on Saturday to the illustrations, which was really hard to get my point across of what I wanted to say. And I think it comes across beautifully. Um, you know, everybody writes, there's, there's a lot of books out there that talk about um, good touch, bad touch, or talk about strangers, or talk about um, bullying, or they talk about all these things, but very few people talk about the gut instinct that you get that tells you something isn't right. Mm -hmm. And it's that one thing that we can take with us for the rest of our life. You know, it's, we need it in everything that we do. Um, we're going to be talking to strangers. You know, uh, when kids are, when parents say, don't talk to them, they're a stranger. I always think to myself, wow, you need to talk to strangers. You're going to do it the rest of your life. How about what makes that part what made that person a good stranger? And so my son and I, after I finished the book and it had gone to print, it was at the publishers. Uh, no, I take that back. It hadn't gone to the publishers yet. It was a couple of weeks before that because uh, the story is in the back of the book. We're at Old Navy and this little guy is next to me and he goes, I can make you freeze for 10 seconds. And I look at him, I go, really? And he goes, yeah, you want to see? And I go, sure. And he goes, freeze. And so I played along and I froze and he counted to 10. I was like, wow, cool trick. And his mom's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's okay. And then my son, who was 19 at the time, looks at me and he goes, mom, 
you shouldn't talk to him, you're a stranger. And, and the little boy and the mom was still standing there. I said, I said, Luke, that little boy needs to know that there are safe strangers in the world. I mean, sometimes we have to rely on a stranger. And I go, he needs to know what makes me, a, what would have made me a bad stranger. Well, what would have made me a bad stranger? Hey, take, I want to take you to the dressing room to show my son that trick. You want to go with me? Or, hey, I've got something in the car for you. Those things would have made me a bad stranger. Just playing along and entertaining his, his magic trick, that's not making me a bad stranger. You know, somebody telling you, you have nice boots um, and you saying, thank you, that doesn't make you a bad stranger. Um, if I, you know, if I carry it on, maybe it does. And so it's a really valuable way for parents to teach their kids how to trust that gut instinct that says something's not right here. Um, and I need to go to somebody and talk to them. And if, you know, a child unfortunately is, is being hurt at home, it teaches a child that there are safe adults out there that we do care and that we want to hear what they have to say and that we do want to help them. And so those were my motivations for those two books. And um, I'm just super proud of them. No, I think they were great, uh, great, they're great tools because, you know, we, we have this, you know, term that uh, I, I, I definitely remember in, in, in spite of my, in, in spite of my awareness, I still did it anyways. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up in, you know, the, 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 essentially the city that I, that I live in now. And, you know, when I was a kid, I remember uh, you would wake up in the morning and you would be, other than coming home for lunch, you were in the neighborhood and you knew a certain proximity that you could be, but you, you, you were all over the neighborhood and, and there were right. certain areas you weren't, you knew you weren't supposed to go to down by the, you know, down by the railroad tracks and across certain streets because they were busier streets. But for the most part, we had what it feels like or felt like back then, free reign. Right. When my kids were little, I, I, I don't know where he went, meaning me, where he went, but I, <laughs> I, I was very much aware of where my kids were all the time when I was on watch and, um, right. and, and I was with them all the time. And, and I think, you know, you know, back then I didn't know about this term, but um, you know, this, I didn't, I never saw myself as being a helicopter dad or, or, you know, trying to move things out of, you know, so they wouldn't have any obstacles um, in that. But I think, you know, just as you were talking about that, you know, being able to differentiate, helping a young person differentiate between a good person you don't know and a person that could be dangerous that you don't know. And, right. and that is a life skill, right? That's a, that's a life oh, skill absolutely. that will benefit uh, a, a male or a female in college when they, when they go mm -hmm. away, when they, yep. when they start, you know, job, jobs, dating, this, it carries on to be able to differentiate um, because like you said, there's always going to be people that you don't know, regardless if it's at the Starbucks or it's at a new job location. Right. And it's, and it's trusting, you know, our body speaks to us before our brain catches up sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll be somewhere in, and somebody will give you that really, uh, I call that, that the squirrels running around in your tummy, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, there's a problem here and you can't figure out what it is. You're, you're kind of looking around going, why am I feeling this way? And I've just learned to trust that feeling. Like, you know, there's something that my body is pick, my brain is picking up on that. It's not processing fast enough yet. Um, but my stomach, because that's where I carry all my stuff. My stomach is just like, telling me something's not right here. And so I've really learned to trust that. And, you know, even writing that book taught me even more of it because I had to really sit down and look at what I was trying to teach in that story. And what I was trying to teach was, you know, how do you really trust that gut feeling? And you said it perfectly. Sometimes you're not going to listen to the gut feeling, right? You know, I, I dated this guy once and I, I had this gut feeling like a couple of times that like, eh, not good. And then one day he swore at me and yelled at me and I ended it that day. I was like, we're done. It took me a little while to get there, but I had these little warning signs ahead of time before that this, this probably wasn't a, a healthy relationship. Um, and fortunately I realized very quickly that it wasn't a healthy relationship before it got too serious. Um, but we, we just kind of ignore some of those signs. And I think especially when you've been through some sort of trauma, you're taught to ignore those, those things. You're taught to dismiss them. You're taught to not talk about it or to, it doesn't matter what you feel. So when you have, when you grow up that way, it's even harder to move forward and say, and I don't remember exactly how you worded it, um, but you don't, you don't, um, you were talking about relationships and you were talking about uh, you're really trusting yourself 
um, it, you don't do that. And so it's really hard and you sabotage. You don't want to be vulnerable. That's what you were talking about. You don't want to be vulnerable and you don't want to do those things because it's scary and you don't trust yourself. And so the more you learn to trust that gut instinct, the more you learn to trust yourself, the more you trust yourself, the more you're able to be vulnerable with somebody else because you recognize, okay, wait a minute, not, not all people are, are horrible. And, but you also recognize that you're going to have disagreements with people and it doesn't have to be the end of the world, you know, and it doesn't have to be so far to the right that it's horribly abusive or so far to the left that it's vacant of all emotion, you know, that there's this nice little place in the middle that becomes good and healthy. And so, and, you know, you might veer to the right a little or to the left a little, but as long as you're not veering more than 10 degrees, either way, you're, you're doing pretty good. Right. right. So yeah. you're going to lose your temper sometimes and, and raise your voice. You're going to, sometimes you're going to pull away from somebody for, for a little while, just to kind of regroup. But if you're analyzing those moments, I think that's when you really have the most growth. Well, and I think, you know, having obviously read both, both of these books and, and I'm assuming the ice cream cone feelings was the first book you wrote. It was, and, yeah. And, and I think, you know, what I, what I really liked about that book was just like you said, it, it, it gave the, the main character, right. His mom walked mm -hmm. him through, you know, a really bad day. Right. And, mm -hmm. and being able to identify what was going on and, and this, the power of being able to talk to a safe person was it showed in a very quick way and i think i think with kids especially with that type of bad day it it can dissipate that quickly and right. um and, and it's i have to tell you this is my uh, because i believe so much in in the whole social work part of it and the, and the yeah. mental health part of it i uh so I'm very fortunate. My sister-in-law is an LCSW and she works at KP. My son got his MSW in December of 20. And my daughter right now is doing her internship at KP. And she's working in one of the, one of our schools that we have a contract with. Well, she, mm -hmm. she's working with uh, K through third graders. And so I, I think I showed her, I said, um, Hey, Sierra, check, check these two books out. And so she, I think she went through them. And then she told me last week that she had um, created an activity. She brought the ice cream oh. feelings book and, and created an activity where they make uh, uh, the, I think there's a second, second grader group and second or third graders. And she, they make an ice cream cone mm -hmm. out of paper. And then they have, um, uh, construction paper i think to to do the the feelings and then they would talk mm -hmm. about when they felt disappointed or when they felt sad or mad or or whatever it was you know it you, you just triggered a memory with me I, I brought this into my nieces she's a teacher as well thank you for tell her thank you for doing that and it's i love that and, and that's the activity we do as well and i i took this into my niece's fifth grade class so you you would think fifth graders it's a little a little too babyish for them so we read the book to them. They, you know, some of them were like, kind of like, I'm like, okay, now I want you all to create ice cream cones. Like, go, you know, go back to your desk. Where I just want to know how you're feeling. When I took all the papers and I sat down with my niece after the fact, I said, oh, um, was this this kid in the classroom? And she was like, yes. And I'm like, I looked at another one. I'm like, what is this, this kid? And she's like, oh my gosh, how are you doing this? And I'm like, I was watching their body language. I was watching how they interacted with other people, but they, they were, I'm, I am angry. I am, I feel alone. I, I hate bullying. I blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how much is this kid being bullied? And she's like, oh my gosh, we're working on it. it it's just brutal. And so, you know, so these kids are going to tell you so much in these ice cream cones and you can do it very simplistically with just color, you know, crayons and a piece of paper, or you can get elaborate and cut out the things. I have an ice cream cone in my office. So the kids are able to identify what scoop is what feeling. And so then they, they do that. Um, but you can, you can really stretch on that. And we have some curriculum developed around ice cream cone feelings. And there's a squirrel in my tummy um, meeting the benchmarks and, and the criteria for each one of them, because there, there's so many things you can learn um, from these books. And it's just amazing to me. So I I'm thrilled to hear that. Well, it's, it's interesting. A couple of weeks ago, I had, a, 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 an author, Sherry Barch, um, on, and she wrote a book called heaven's bell. And that was written for, uh, I think it was fourth to sixth graders or fifth to seventh graders type of thing. And, um, and she, and she, and it was interesting because similar to these, these two books, um, that they are, they're not only beneficial for the designated identified age group, but they're also beneficial for older because 
the story still the truth and and it and it, exactly. it's really that metaphor that allows us then to put ourselves into it and how does that apply to me and i think that's the the value for this but it's also a, a tool right to to be able oh, absolutely to- and i don't know about you but i use children's books a lot with my adult clients because mm-hmm. they are so busy and, you know uh, like tiger tiger is it true by um byron katie you know i use that book with my with my adult clients all the time um as well as mine and a you know, gosh, there's a, the day the crayons quit, you know, I use that one as well about all those different feelings, but I'll give them to my adolescents to read because they're not going to read, you know, 10 chapter book on feelings. They're, they're just too busy. Um, So I'll use, I'll use these books a lot to, to help them learn a skill. I want them to learn. It doesn't matter the age. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that is, uh, you know, parables, um, uh, proverbs, uh, mm-hmm. Aesop's fables, you know, fairy yeah. tales in themselves. I think that's the power of those uh, teaching uh, formats is that we, we can all at some level, we can relate to it. And it actually disarms us because, you know, if it, if it is written in this, you know, uh, more succinctly, but simpler, um, mm-hmm. it, through a metaphor, then I think, like you said, it can, it can broaden the application. So, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, yeah. and, and, and I can just, um, I can see myself if, if I had written something similar to yourself about, uh, the, the squirrel, my tummy that, um, I could, I could see that I'd get the illustration and all of a sudden going this, Oh, I gotta do something different here. Right. And, and then, and then change right. it, you know, at the 11th hour, but because it has, because there's, it's trusting that gut feeling about this right. is not, this is, this is not going to come across the way I want it to. So I need to revamp. So. Yeah, my whole my whole goal with their squ- a squirrel in my tummy was to teach that true feeling of of how do I trust myself? You know, I remember growing up and and I was taught not to trust myself. I was taught not to trust that feeling, not to not to listen to to what my body was saying to me, and 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 more so just to shut it off and and not you know. And unfortunately, you you not only miss out on you can avoid some of the bad things when you totally shut and isolate yourself, but you miss out on all the really good things. You know, I I look at these children who are in my life now, my, you know, my nieces and nephews and my great nieces and nephews. I don't have any real grandchildren yet, but I got enough of those little ones around me. And I, I love just being able to hear them and, you know, teach them that they can, they can really stand up for themselves that they can, um, you know, just really be who they want to be you know, and, and be okay with it. And, you know, uh, we have this example from yesterday where I took my one little niece to the Mardi Gras parade. And one of the, one of the guys had this gorgeous bead that was really super cool. And he was like, Oh, he goes, give me a kiss on the cheek and you can have it. And I looked at her and I said, you don't have to do that. You, you can, if you want to give him a kiss on the cheek, you can, she, she knew who he was. And, um, and she gave him, she goes, yeah, she gave him a kiss on the cheek and she took the beads. And, <laughs> and then um, we talked about it later. Like, you know, I'm like, she's like, I'm like, what's your favorite beads? And she said that one. And we were able to talk about it and process it. And I was able to say to her, you know, and you don't have to, you never have to do something for something. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you wanted beads, we'd find a way to get you beads without you having to do anything, you know, like giving somebody a kiss on the cheek or hugging somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when my nephew, one comes in the house and he's not a hugger, he's not a toucher. He, he doesn't, he doesn't want to, he's just not his language. Like gifts are his language. Don't, don't hug me. Don't touch me. Right. And so when he walks in the house, I'm like, what's up? And he's like, what's up? And everybody else is like, ta-ta. That's what they call <laughs> me. And they, they come in running in, they're giving me hugs and I'm like, hi. And so, but not, not, not him, you know, with him, it's like, you know, a, a nod and that's it. So, and it's recognizing and being okay with that and teaching him it's okay to be that way. Not to be rude, obviously, but it's okay to not hug me when you walk in the door. I'm not, I'm not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. Right. Right. Um, Or, you know, and I want to, I want to teach my kids that. And I want to teach the kids in the world that too, you know, that, that you can trust your gut instincts. You can say no, people have to listen when you say no, but also recognizing that when you don't feel right about something, even if it's something as simple as I put my hand on your shoulder, you get to say, I don't like the way that feels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so it's, it's a, it's a fine line, isn't it? Like in some, re- in some regards, because you want to teach kids to be respectful, obviously. Um, but you also want to keep them safe 
and, yeah. and make them feel empowered. So, and I think that's that is definitely, as you know, as a therapist, that that is, if we if we can do it at an early age and help them differentiate between that intuition, that gut feeling, you know, that that sensing that something is uncomfortable, and then the the learning that we do that everyone that I don't know their first, middle, last name, social security is a stranger. And, and, right. and because sometimes, and that's, I know for me, that's the, one of the hardest things that I had to learn going through my own work was that I was such a thinker about, um, a, a, about survival, about being able to, to not get hurt. And is that I would overthink and, and everything. And I wouldn't trust, you know, this time period when I, I would, I would maybe see when it was, you know, wrong or, or there was danger, but then I, I wouldn't be able to always trust when somebody was, um, when it was safe or when it was, right. you know, really when it was being helpful, you know, cause what exactly. I, perce- what I perceived as a threat may not have actually been a threat. It might've been my my translation of the scenario. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, um, I love that you were doing this kind of stuff. So people can really learn the difference. It's not, it's not about, it is about, you know, obviously giving them resources, but it's also hearing those words being said and that you went through something and you survived it and you, you came out stronger and, and helping the world. And that's where I, that's my passion. When, you know, when we started off this conversation about what do you love to do? Well, I think this is not really work for me. Mm-hmm. You know, people are always like, Oh, you know, you work so much. I'm like, Oh, I didn't realize I work so much because mm-hmm. I love what I do. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm putting in 60 or 70 hours in the week doing creative work stuff, quote unquote work stuff, I'm really doing what I'm passionate about. And when you do what you're passionate about, you can't put a clock on it. Right. You know, you have to, you have to say, okay, no, I love this. This is what I love. Yeah, very much so. So speaking of that, Sherry, or not, sorry, not Sherry, Teresa. That's okay. You're in last week still. <laughs> I, was, I was last week, yeah. Uh, yeah. Another creative like yourself, but um, what what's in store for you? What, what are some things that you're yeah. looking at wanting to do in 22? What are some things that you're looking at wanting to, uh, some goals that you have coming up? Well, well, first we'll start with refresh, you know, obviously, you know, really developing a a learning and development program throughout refresh that really is exciting for people, um, taps into the resources that we already have at refresh and, and hopefully recruiting people that we don't have at refresh who are super talented because we, we really want to, we want to help people. And, you know, with a large network like ours, we want all the resources we can get to, to help the people that we're working with. From a personal standpoint, you know, I'm absolutely still writing. I have a book on um, PTSD that I'm almost done with. It's about a military service dog with PTSD. Um, super informative. Um, I worked at the VA at, at, for a short period of time. Um, I'm a veteran myself, so come from a line of veterans. Um, really have just this heart for, for military people um, and for their families. I think people forget that it's not just the soldier, the airman, the, 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 the Navy, the, it's not the people who are in the military alone who are paying a price for, for what our soldiers and our military folks go through. The family pays a price for it too. The family is impacted by it. So I really wanted to create something that spoke to people who are living with somebody with PTSD, mm-hmm. um, understanding what it's like, um, helping that person through it. You know, I can look back at my childhood and go, you know, my father definitely had PTSD because of his abuse. My mom became, her, her mental illness came rearing its ugly head. And she, she had PTSD herself from living with him and, and what, and the things that he did. So you have this whole house full of people who have PTSD. So I really have this passion towards explaining that and helping families work through it. So the book not only walks you through what does PTSD look like, but it gives some really sound things that that the dog does to kind of help himself when he's feeling these things. So it not only helps the child understand what the parent may be going through, but it helps the person who has PTSD understand some ways to 
calm themselves down and to, to work through some things. So, so I'm in love, I'm in love with that. And then I just started another pro, well, I shouldn't say just started, we've been working on this for years. So I, uh, Dr. Kevin Arnold out of CCBT Columbus mm -hmm. and I um, have been working on this one book on bullying. So um, I just started really focusing again on it. Cause I'm like, okay, you've got to be in a really good headspace to be creative by the way. So mm -hmm. I'm sure you know that. Yeah, so, yeah. so we've been really going kind of back and forth with it. And I, I uh, made a commitment to, to finish that up in the next three or four months. So, um, we'll hopefully get that up and out, out the door, but it's on bullying and it's a really fun, uh, it's a fun kind of, um, I can't say much about it because I, we're, we're, we're under a big NDA on this one. So, um, but it's going to be really, really good. And, and I'm excited to get that out there. And, uh, Dr. Arnold's brilliant. So it'll be fun to, to work with him, uh, as we wrap up this project. So sure. Well, I definitely look forward to seeing and reading both those books when they get, get finished. And, uh, we do, we do quite a, quite a bit of work at, at a couple different, um, at KP and then um, Sherman and at Red Oak working with children and working with veterans. Um, and so I'll, I'll be in working with their families as well as first yes. responders. So I will, uh, I would definitely be interested in, in your, as you finish up your book on PTSD. Um, yes. Well, and you know, you bring up that great point of the first responders, you know, uh, we, that just opens up a whole nother network of, of children and families who really will value, seek value from this book. So. Yeah, Perfect. I'm excited about this. I'll definitely get you the first one of the first copies when it comes out. Okay, well, great. Well, thank you. Yeah. Teresa, if, if someone was interested in, in contacting you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? What's the best way for yeah. them to get uh, to get uh, um, ice cream cone feelings? And uh, mm -hmm. there's a squirrel in my tummy. Yeah, so both of those are on Amazon. So you can just go to Amazon and, and uh, look it up and It'll be sent out the next day, so you can get them there. Um, you can reach out to me um, via my, if it's regarding refresh, uh, T Gasser at Refresh Mental Health. And if it's just about the books, it's Tammy Ott G. I guess that's a good time to segue into that, huh? Uh, Tammy Ott G at gmail.com. So my friends call me Tammy. My career-wise is Teresa. Teresa is my legal name. Tammy's nowhere in my legal name, but my mother liked Tammy on my birth certificate, or Tam call me Tammy. She thought Tammy Joan was too country. Mm. So she named me Teresa Joan. So there oh, you go. There you go. Okay. Yes. She, <laughs> well, she said, you sounded like a country singer when we, when we were going to call you Tammy Joan. And I was like, well, that's not a bad thing. Because yeah. <laughs> so, well, back in the 60s, country wasn't that popular yet. <laughs> so that's good. So there I am. Yeah. Well, well, Teresa, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for what you, you. Have, have been doing and what you continue to do now through Refresh and through some of the other projects that are you that you are doing. And I am grateful that you and our paths crossed uh, and Me that, too. that we can do some work together. So again, yeah, and thank you for all you do on suicide prevention. I, I, you know, I'm sure people who are listening to you are aware, but um, if you could put out that website for people, because I'll be posting this on my social medias as well. Sure. And I'd really like people to check that out. Your, your nonprofit around suicide prevention is brilliant. So congratulations on a very well job, well, very thank well done job. <laughs> well, thank you very much. So um, as, as always, uh, if for some reason there was something that you, you may have heard on, on the show in our conversation with Teresa um, regarding yourself or someone that you know, um, please reach out um, either through Teresa or myself or, or someone within your network um, regarding um, how to break that silence and shatter that silence around mm -hmm. that. Or if you're seeking to, to um, if you have that for yourself, uh, that squirrel in your tummy, that that, um, that there are uh, good local resources to be able to, to seek out. And I'll make sure I put uh, some, some websites in, in the show notes for this. But again, Teresa, thank you for being with us. And, uh, thank you. And I welcome, welcome everyone to be back with us next week. Thank you.